up, guys? Welcome to the TCC Conversation Podcast. I'm Pastor Grace, middle school pastor here at TCC. And today, I get to have a conversation with Pastor Shana, our hey. senior pastor. This is our second face-to-face podcast episode. Jeremy and I realized in our first episode, face-to-face, that it was like a little weird okay to be so just be prepared like setting down your cups a little weird because you realize you can't meet oh, yourself yes just something to have on your brain i think jeremy like left his coffee on the floor <laughs> oh i was like this is weird i'm looking at your face i'm like i don't know there you go well i yeah i uh, you know i'm gonna just admit that this is not my first podcast rodeo look at you so back in the day <laughs> pastor tim and i used to host a podcast called the sermon studio I used to listen to that. Oh my goodness. I know, as a college student. I know, although we did not have a microphone as fancy as this one. <laughs> um, so I will do my best to not jingle keys or slurp water in here in this live setting. Sure but we'll I am fine. excited to get to dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, I'm super pumped. We started a new sermon series. Mm-hmm. Um, so this whole summer, we are taking the opportunity in this podcast to go deeper, just exploring some of the questions that you guys have asked us, whether through the podcast or in church or from our website, which there's always a spot open for you on our website if you have any questions about God or the church or faith in general. We want to take time to just kind of dive deeper into those questions, recognizing that questions are really important. And often you ask some really good questions that we maybe can't really explore to their full extent in a 20 to 40 minute sermon. Right. So. Yeah, that's such a good point too. And I think we tried to set it up the very first week of this series to say that this the point of this series is not to give you a complete and definitive answer to all of these huge, <laughs> so enormous pressure. questions, right? Like people have Thank written goodness. volumes and volumes on this stuff, <laughs> and we're not just going to solve it in 30 minutes, but we hope what we can do is invite you to continue exploring the depths of the relationship that we have with God that is really where we find the answer, which is Jesus, right? Like yeah. Ultimately, this is the truth that we are seeking in all of this is Jesus, so how do we know God more? Um, so yesterday was really fun uh, talking about um, what's up with, no, 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 let's see, is God in control? Yes. The, the question that was submitted by our, oh, I don't know if I should say who submitted the question, because are they supposed to be anonymous? This was the only person I think who actually did connected their name, their name they to it. They did their name. Uh, but, the, but the question was <laughs> more about God's sovereignty, and so we talked about God's control, because I think that often when people have a struggle with sovereignty, what the real struggle is, is control. And this imagination that we have of divine sovereignty is like divine control. God is the chess master, right? And we're all just pawns in the game. Yep. Which I think is great. Landing into the Enneagram, I would identify as an eight. Mm. And so hearing the sermon from the sound booth yesterday, I was like, oh yeah, like I can see like, this is interesting. I think that is one of the things I love about like Wesleyan holiness and prevenient grace is that there is this articulation that God is always pursuing us, but like ultimately our relationship with God leaves the ball like in our own court. And so we get to like have some autonomy in our relationship with God. And like, I love like not that power, but like that empowerment of like your relationship with God that we really see beautifully highlighted in like a Wesleyan 
view of our relationship as salvation. And that's yeah, I love that word part. you used, empowerment. Um, I I read a book last week that I'm actually supposed to present a response to at a scholars conference later this week. Ooh that was not written by a Wesleyan, and he described Wesleyan theology as transactional. Oh. Because, he, critiquing it, obviously, sure. but he said that in Wesleyan theology, um, the grace of God only does so much, and then we are, what I would say is responsible, you know, to respond. Yeah. Um, that we have some kind of role to play, and that basically if there's any kind of role that we as humans play that that is a transaction where we expect mm. God to give us some grace and then we have to give something back for God's Interesting. grace. Interesting. So as you can imagine, I will be taking issue with that <laughs> with him later this week. But I do want to just clarify, you know, what we talked about yesterday. This is a particularly Wesleyan view of God's sovereignty that we gave yesterday. Mm-hmm. It is different um, than a Calvinist view. And when I say Calvinist, Goodness gracious, the Blake span of Calvinism <laughs> is so is so broad. Yeah. Um, the, in, in the sermon yesterday, so if you're a podcast listener, you get a little gem that was left out of the sermon. Um, I mentioned the fact that I did not quote a Calvinist to sort of give that comparison yeah. between the two. Because I felt like the, the good news that we have is good enough without trying to like set it up to be... Um, but yeah. I'll, I'll just tell you, here was the quote that I was considering using in the sermon yesterday. Um, the quote is from uh, Mr. John Piper, uh, who, like I said, there's lots of different brands of Calvinism. I would not wish John Piper on a car salesman company that I didn't like, like to be their spokesperson, right? <laughs> so I'm not coloring every person who is at a Baptist church with this brand of Calvinism. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but his quote is talking about going in and praying over his sons every night. And he, he's the one who chose to publish this, so I just... Um, but he talked about going in to pray over his sons every night and how he prays for them. But that ultimately, he prays, like, God, if it is your will that they are not among the elect, right? Like, those who God has chosen to be saved because his view of God's sovereignty is much more, I would say, a, a very controlling, where God has controlled every aspect of this. Who will be saved? Who will not be saved? God has the reasons for it, and we can't know them. And so his prayer for his boys every night is basically like, help me to accept what your will is for them, even if it is to be eternally lost. Hmm. And um, it, it's just, it's such a, a heavy quote to grapple with, um, and obviously, I think it does help us have a really good comparison that, like, as not only did not all Calvinists see it that way, but certainly as Wesleyans, we have a very different view of our relationship with God. Absolutely, yeah. That, and so back to the word you used earlier, empowerment, we believe that God's grace is not something we transact with, like, oh, because you gave me grace, now I'll give you faithfulness. Yeah. But that God's grace actually empowers us for holy living, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, little tidbit that that only the podcast listeners get to, <laughs> get to that John Piper quote. Yes, love oh, it. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. One of the things that, um, just thinking through, I haven't gotten to like sit down and talk with my boyfriend yet, which means it's going to be an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point later tonight, because I'm sure he was like, "I hope Grace is listening." Yeah. Oh, I, I sure hope Grace is listening. But just the like dynamic of then what that does 
for us when we mm-hmm. face instances like when I have kids say like oh like well God let this bad thing happen to me mm-hmm. and I think that when we view sovereignty in that different kind of empowerment space that it isn't like God making the bad things happen and I think that that's an important aspect of us understanding too that like the brokenness in this world is like brokenness in this world it isn't how God had intended things to be and that we are then empowered to interact with them in like a grace-filled and redeeming way that doesn't necessarily make sense well, Pastor Tim is really going to tackle that question this week, right? Yes, so and I'm super pumped We set up, <laughs> is God in control first? Because that's kind of the platform that everything else builds off of. Yeah. To understand this God who has sovereign authority over heaven and earth, whose, uh, whose love wins, like has already defeated the powers of evil and death and sin in this world, like already categorically wins, right? Yeah. But that does not mean that God is controlling every aspect of the world in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means that suffering is going to be a part. So Pastor Tim this week is really going to really going to approach that, like these questions of suffering. Why is this a part of the world? Um, I, you know, I do think it'd be great to talk a little bit with you, Pastor Grace, about, I mean, you work with middle schoolers, right? Um, and even in, it was interesting to me, even in some of the response to the sermon, I realized how how still we hold on to, but but God is in control, right? Like, tell me that God is controlling all of this yeah. because that really is a comforting feeling to know that God is in control. Um, I so I, I I would ask you maybe like how what's the language that you use with middle schoolers that helps? So yesterday, obviously, I kind of offered instead of talking about God is in control, how about we talk about how God is sovereign love? Right? Mm-hmm. And, and God's sovereign love reigning over this world and our lives. So basically say, I'm not going to answer that question with a yes or no. Because most of these questions, as you will see, if it could just be answered with a yes or no, that'd be a real short sermon. (laughs) That's probably not why they're being asked either. Right, exactly. (laughs) And so just inviting to maybe have different language. But I know like saying sovereign love to a 13-year-old whose mom just got diagnosed with cancer. I mean, that's different. So what's some of the language that you use when you're working with middle schoolers to help them grapple with all of this? Yeah, so a lot of the language we use with middle school is um, like chaos and order because Mm. those are concepts that are easier to grasp. We can talk about our room being in chaos and then making that make more sense like in the rest of the world. And so we equate like experiences that are hard or experiences that don't make sense as like chaotic experiences Mm. And that God is a God that is bringing order and right relationship. And so we define, like, what does it mean to be in right relationship with, like, the person next to you? Like, you're not kicking their chair. Like, you're going to – we use kinetic sand in middle Mm. school so that our hands are busy. Um, So it's making sure that, like, everyone at the table has, like, a little bit of kinetic sand. Like, it means that we're not stealing, like, the little cutters from each other. Like, basic things. Um, And then talking about how God is a God – that wants that right relationship and right relationship is when things are like right ordered and so like God isn't an A-type personality where your room has to be made perfectly but that you could go into your room and know where things are and so that's why your mom comes in and says like hey you need to clean your room because you need to get dressed for school tomorrow and you don't have any clean clothes Mm. and so like that's kind of how God relates to us and then allowing us to participate in bringing like order 
to the world, not for the sake of order, but for the sake of what happens when things are made in order and we can find what we're looking for. And like life feels a little calmer when it's not complete chaos. And um, that's a lot of the language we'll use with middle school specifically because sovereign means absolutely nothing to a middle schooler (laughs) typically. Um, And control is not necessarily a great word for a middle schooler brain either. Don't love it. Um, as a middle school pastor, like, absolutely. We were talking in the office over lunch, um, control, and I was like, yeah, like, you know, it's fine, but also, like, I do need to control my middle schoolers. Like, we're going to camp next week, and I was talking with Brooke, who works with Youth Power. She'll be going up to, like, hang out with the girls, because I'm a camp director, so we'll have time to, like, be with students, and then I can, like, make sure camp's working. And she was like, yeah, I can't imagine, like, can you picture this one kid, like, out of control? Like, no guidance, like, no authority, like, that's not right. great for a middle schooler either. So there's the balance of the safety that happens when they're like, oh, like, this right ordering is something good that I can lean into when I don't have all the answers and know that, like, I don't have to have all the answers, but I can participate in working to make things a little more right ordered. And, you know, I think that brings up a great point too, that I, I talked with Pastor Tina just a little bit after the service about yesterday, um, that there is a difference between boundaries and being controlling, right? Yes. That boundaries actually create a safe and healthy place where people can thrive and yeah. flourish and not dive off the edge and plummet to their death, right? Yep. <laughs> like boundaries are a really so good, healthy, necessary thing. Yeah. Um, that that's different than like having to be a control freak over mm-hmm. the way everything you know is managed. Um, a, a, another thing I've been thinking about since yesterday too is recognizing how the idea of a controlling God, while I think for some brings a lot of comfort, this sense of um, you know not just boundaries where here's a safe, but like no, tell me that somebody is ordering every single step. Yeah. Um, well, that can be comforting to some people. For others who have a history of abuse and that kind of control in their background, um, a controlling God is not salvific. Yeah. Like this is a, um, it conjures uh, some trauma in the past then that is, is really not helpful, mm-hmm. which I know is not everybody's experience, but it's it probably is for more than we think. Um, oh, for absolutely. For more people sitting in the congregation than we think about. Um, so yeah, to think about, what is it like then to live in these good boundaries that God has given us, that our communities, I think, I think there are some boundaries that God gives us and there are some boundaries that communities just have to create to be able to live well-ordered lives together. Yeah. Um, like we all recognize that, uh, like having stoplights is not the only way to keep cars from crashing into it. You can do roundabouts. I mean, there stop signs. There's other... But if there's a stoplight there, it's not like a divine law of God that you must have stoplights. But that's that works for some cultures and communities to identify how do we keep cars from crashing into one another. Yeah, right? absolutely. But there's but there's other ways that other cultures have figured out how to direct traffic. And um, but but like communities have to decide together what are the boundaries that we're gonna have. Like yeah. this group of people being faithful to God together, what does that expression look like specifically for us? And so I think that communities are always kind of negotiating what those boundaries are. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that analogy. It makes me think going to high school, I had to go through the Garces Circle Mm. every twice a week when I went to school. And it like 
drove me crazy that like there's one circle in this town one that I know of and no one could figure out how to use it and so you're like in traffic at 7 30 in the morning and it's like I go around the circle and then go through a stoplight and I'm at my school so I'm like that close to mm-hmm. getting to high school and it would always take like almost 20 minutes to get off the interstate and to the school just because no one knew how to use the traffic circle oh, and it's yeah. just funny to think like there, that is, like, a totally viable way to maintain a flow of traffic, and it makes total sense because there's, like, five streets that converge in this one area, and if you don't understand, like, the rules of engagement of this mm-hmm. community, then it makes it almost like a stumbling block mm. in what could have been something, like, really helpful, and so, like, recognizing and knowing your community and the environment you're in is super important as you're cultivating and creating those, like, boundaries, Oh, that's because an they're super important. We right? could uh, <laughs> definitely tease out like when those boundaries have become a stumbling block. That when people no longer know how to engage yeah. them, that's um, because yeah. something needs to be a Garcia circle. Like yes. you can't just have five roads come together with an overpass. Right. But also, someone needs to teach Bakersfield how to use a circle mm. or find a different <laughs> method. <laughs> so I wasn't stuck in traffic patrol, but like yeah. that's just making me think like, oh man, that's such a good point. And I think, like, tying back then to middle school, um, middle school is a very freeing experience. We're going to camp next week. And for some of these kids, most of these kids going, they've never been to middle school camp because last year we did a combined camp with First Church. So it wasn't a Mid-South camp because COVID. So this is, like, my sixth and seventh graders. It's their first, like, actual camp experience. Mm. And so they're tying it back to kids camp. And they're tying it back to their experiences with Miss Jillian, which is great. And, like, we've been trying to prep them for the past month. But, like, this isn't going to be like kids camp. You're going to have so much freedom. Mm. And, like, it's going to be kind of a shock. And, like, I'm not going to kick you out of the shower when you've been in there for 20 minutes. (laughs) I'm going to tell you to hurry up. But, like, I'm not going to tell you to get out even if you're not done rinsing your hair. Like, I'm not a dictator. I can't deal with micromanaging (laughs) your lives because you're 12, 13, 14 years old. Because boundaries change as you grow. You've got this. Yes. And so, like, just thinking of how you have to prepare them, though, for those changes in boundaries. But also, I can't have a high schooler at camp expecting me to tell me, like, I don't want to know where you're going from one to four. I need to know that you see an adult. I need to know that I see you periodically. But I don't need to know where 20 kids are for four hours straight because I can't handle that and that's not what's expected of a 15 to 18 year old because they're fine like their frontal lobes are a little bit more developed than they were when they were kids and just thinking like yeah like that is something we equip and prepare our students for but then what does that look like as we like equip and prepare like believers for as they're pursuing that maturity and kind of deepening their understanding of like their relationship with God and God's sovereignty in their lives and in the world around them. It's just interesting. Yeah. As that progresses. That's mm, really good. There was something else that popped into my mind while you were speaking, and now it just has popped out. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about are just, um, you know, real life situations where people are typically asking the question, like, gosh, is God in control? Oh, here's what I was thinking of. So, like, this last year is the year that we've asked that question yeah. in such a huge way. What is happening? Like, tell me. I think that with, with COVID this last year, there's a lot of us feeling like, please tell me that this is a part of some crazy master plan 
um, that you know that God is controlling all of this somehow. Please, please, please. Just let me know what the next plague is. Yes. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? So isn't it interesting? in the same breath and I put myself in this camp okay so I am not bashing anyone out like I am putting myself in this camp we want to know that God is in control and yet we have so struggled this last year with our loss of control mm-hmm. and it not it curious because like if we really do want to say that God is control wouldn't we be perfectly fine being so discombobulated and thrown out of control but I think it's really sort of revealed for us a need to control um, because, gosh, we, let's just admit, adults, we did not do well. <laughs> <laughs> we did not do well when we felt like life was out of control and that the things that we thought we ought to be able to do and wanted to do were taken from us. Like mm-hmm. this was a major struggle. And communities struggled to know how, what are, what are our boundaries now? Um, one of the weeks we're going to be talking later this summer is the question of, do you have to come in the church building to be a part of the church? This is now a fair question on the table that we were not asking two years ago. Yeah. Because we're asking now, okay, well, what are the boundaries of community? If I am never coming into the building again, am I still a part of the community? Does the you know guy who lives in Florida that connects with our church every week, is he a part of the community? Um, like these are now really fair questions, and and I think that our ability to be able to answer those questions moving forward and to to move forward boldly into this new reality is gonna really require us seeing ourselves coming over this sovereign authority of God, right? That this is not us just making it up as we go, um, nor is it we are puppets in the puppet master's play and this will just kind of be gamed out exactly how God's already devised so sit back and enjoy the ride but that there is a sovereign loving God who like in Romans is working all things all things even the trauma of this last year um, even the tragedies that we don't see coming God is somehow working all things for the good of those who love him and work according to his purposes. Like, gosh, there's so much in that one scripture verse that we could tease out. (laughs) God is working. So even that verb there is an ongoing, like God is still continuously working. God didn't just like set all the moves of the chess game up a bajillion years ago and is sitting back watching it unfold. Um, God is working, working with us in and among us. God is at work Mm -hmm. in and among us right now all things right that there is nothing outside of God's sovereignty I think that's really important to name too that even while there is evil in the world and there is sin and brokenness and corruption and so many things we could name there even while that exists in the world none of it is so God is not controlled by this world yeah and none of it is just out of control. Like it all comes under God's sovereign reign and authority, everything under heaven and earth. Um, so God is working all things for the good. Only God gets to define what good is, by the way. Like for the ultimate big picture good yeah. of those who love him takes us back to this loving relationship, this dynamic relationship that God has. This is not just 
uh, you know, God, the detached chess master, puppet master, whatever, like for those who love God, who are in this loving relationship with God and who work according to his purposes. So God is working and we are working. God is at work. We are at work. God is loving us. We are loving God. That there is this dynamic relationship in which God is at work for the good. Um, so anyways, I feel like I've just been rambling there for a little bit, but I, there's so much we can unpack in this one verse that I feel like is so poignant to this question about God's control in this world. Yeah, and I think that's so good. And my favorite, my favorite thing to tell my students then is that the longer we are in this relationship with God and we're in this game with God, it becomes easier for us to see and name mm. the places where God is already at work and to see and name like the good that God is bringing about. Yeah. We always talk about like, you know, when you're with your friends and you start sounding like them. And so we talk about our friends' catchphrases and the things that we've started saying because our friend group says them. And it makes so much sense for them to be like, oh, like the more I'm with God, mm. the more than I understand like, who God is because of how I am with my friends like I can be like that with God and I think that's such a beautiful yeah picture too of like okay yeah like the longer my skin is in this game and the longer I'm in this mutual relationship the easier it is for me to be like oh like I can see how God is doing this thing yeah. because I know who God is and yeah oh our relationships change so everything good. right and um, I think there's also if if we expect that God is at work in and among us it changes the questions we are asking even, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not just, um, so this last year over COVID and shutdowns and quarantine, now as we're coming back out of it, if we are looking saying, okay, this year was <laughs> terrible, but how, I know God was at work somehow. Let's be looking, like let's be looking for how God was at work and not just crossing our arms and like angry at the world, but how do we find how God was at work? Like that changes everything. There's a methodology that I learned um, in my doctoral studies called appreciative inquiry. And it is this methodology that says when you go into a community to do research about them, um, there's something unique that you can learn when you ask them a que questions that basically require them to appreciate their experiences and their community that you can't get, answers you can't get when you just ask open-ended questions like, um, what did you think about this? Or do you like it or do you not? Or, you know, but rather to ask appreciative questions like, how has God met you in this last year? How have you experienced the love of God? Um, how have you found healing in the community of believers, right? To ask questions that basically to answer them requires that you are looking for how God is at work. Um, and, and so learning about that methodology of appreciative inquiry and the kind of then results that we learn about communities and even how it changes the communities who participate in, a, in appreciative inquiry to like start asking better questions about themselves like ask just start asking questions that assume that God's at work rather than assume that um yeah they need to um figure out how to get control back over their community sure yeah um so that that's been really helpful something that I thought about in the midst of just asking God questions yeah that's so good I love that anything else you want to add before we 
wrap up for a second. I feel like this has been super good. This has been really good. <laughs> keep talking, fun. Thanks for Thanks for teasing out the conversation. Maybe the last thing I would just put out there is, you know, having scripture memorized and on our tongue is always so helpful. Um, and while scripture talks a ton about God is, you know, God's sovereignty and God's power and God's authority in the world, um, maybe better than just saying like, Hey, God's in control or God's even God's got this. I do. I do believe that But (laughs) having some scripture memorized, like God works all things for the good of those who love him and work according to his purposes or, um, Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. That there's something about approaching these either traumatic experiences in life or these big God questions. There's something about approaching it through the narrative of scripture and even the words of scripture Mm -hmm. that our own words will never be able to fully comprehend. And I think also having scripture in our vocabulary in our language it it really does say we are answering these questions in relationship because this is the dialogue that God's having with me and so I'm going to use those words back as as I'm teasing this out so I would just encourage people as you're thinking about okay what does this mean when I'm having conversations with people who are struggling and asking is God in control rather than just answering yes or no What's a passage of scripture that that you can bring that reframes that question and draws us back into relationship with God mm-hmm. rather than asking somewhat oppositional questions? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, I hope that's, that's helpful. Awesome. I love that. So I have one last question for you. Oh, okay. Then. Um, something that our students do every time we gather is a shalom circle yes. where we see a name where we have seen God at work in the world in this mm. past week. So oh, I want to ask you inquiry question, Pastor Where have Grace? you seen God at work? Where have you seen shalom, the inbreaking yes. of the kingdom of God this last week? Oh, I just feel like I've seen it so much this last week. I barely even know where to begin. <laughs> it was a packed last oh, week. Oh my goodness, it was such a packed last week. Um, oh, I so sitting in ordination service. Um, I'd been so busy. I was uh, just had been a really full day of district assembly, and then because of a transportation malfunction, I had to drive back to Nashville right before service and then get back into service. Um, and so I'm kind of frazzled getting back and then I was helping with the, with the ordination service and so just kind of frazzled. And the worship begins and Pastor Jordan is sitting just a couple rows right ahead of me. And you know we're, we're at a district assembly where I know a lot of people but some are TCC, most are not. And um, all of a sudden, in one of the worship sets, I heard from across the room our very own Jeffrey Crook, um, who's a part of our congregation, just beloved member, and, and always has a wonderful exuberance in worship. I hear him shout unmistakably his voice, <laughs> praise Jesus. Mm. And to know that he was there a part that he would make that drive and be a part of this like holy night as we were ordaining pastors and knowing the journey that he's walked and and how it all like wrapped up in this moment was so 
powerful, um, was so powerful for me. I felt like it just set my heart to worship in a way that coming out of that frazzle, like the, the drive back and forth from Nashville and trying to get ready for the service and making sure I knew what my job was that night. Yeah. It just set my heart to worship in, in such a beautiful way. Um, so I guess that is the answer that I'm giving. I keep trying to think about like, where am I seeing God at work in the world? Not inside of worship services. But right? I think that's great. But, honestly, um, God breaks in in all places. Yes. And it felt like a very wonderful convergence of all those things in that night. That's awesome. I love that. So good. I want to encourage you guys listening in. If you want to take a second as we're wrapping up, try and think of spaces where you've seen God breaking into the world around you in this past week, because I guarantee God has been. Mm -hmm. So Love it. Thanks for joining. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having the conversation. Should be good. And join us next week as we continue in this sermon series and asking big God questions. We'll see you next week.